0: This episode of Broads You Should Know is brought to you by Zencaster, the all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio-quality audio and video without needing all the technical know-how. We use Zencaster for Broads You Should Know, and we love it! Save 30% if you sign up today at zen.ai slash broads you should know. Hello and welcome to Broads You Should Know, the podcast about amazing and noteworthy women from history. I'm Sarah Gorski, and I'm here with one of my favorite guests, whom you all know so well, Chloe Skye.
1: Hello, it's me.
0: It's been so long since we've had you here. We've missed you.
1: Yeah, I've missed being here, but I've been obviously uh, editing, so I've been hearing everything and, and loving and listening.
0: Chloe, what do you think about the fact that we actually have an ad now? Is it weird?
1: It makes me so happy. Does it? (laughs) Genuinely. Yes, it does. (laughs) I'm like, oh, yay, the little podcast is growing up.
0: And you've been using Zencaster because since since you've been editing with us. And actually, it's really freaking awesome.
1: It's super convenient as an editor to just go in and download the file. Yeah, it makes it really easy.
0: So anyone who is trying to record things from multiple locations with different users, definitely check it out. But today, Chloe, we're here for your episode. And I actually don't even
1: know who you are bringing us today. Who are you bringing us? So I have brought a woman named Norma McCorvey. Have you, have you heard?
0: Norma McCorvey.
1: Okay, that's basically the reaction I was hoping for because I had also <laughs> never heard this name.
0: I haven't either. I, I feel like Norma is kind of an old timey name. And I also feel like it's gonna be something socially relevant because that's how you roll. That's my jam. <laughs> that's how you roll these days. So wait, uh, okay, well, I'll just let you take it away. Well, who is Norma?
1: Norma McCorvey is probably best known as Jane Roe.
0: (gasps) Roe versus Wade.
1: Yes, she is the titular- I fucking knew
0: it, Chloe. I knew you were going to bring in something (laughs) relevant today.
1: (laughs) Yes, you know, it's on my mind. I went to a protest this past weekend and and just it's important. And I was curious because, you know, I've, I've been hearing about Roe v. Wade since high school and I never actually knew anything about- who Roe is. Right. So I was like, I'm going to check that out. And this is a wild ride. Because do you know anything about her? Or basically, you just know the, the trial?
0: No, I don't know anything about the original. I'm assuming she was the, pl- is she the plaintiff? Is she Roe?
1: She is Roe,
0: But they gave her a different name for the actual suit. It's not, so Norma's her given name.
1: Yes, Norma McCorvey is the name she was, well, Norma's she was born with. McCorvey was her married name. But oh. then, yeah, to to respect her anonymity so she wouldn't be inundated with death threats, she used the name Jane Rowe as the plaintiff. And okay. it was a class action suit. So yes she was just like we just needed to have a, a name and on i know there. nothing
0: about the actual woman i only know what roe v wade did for women and what it's about not to do anymore because the supreme court is full of shit and listeners if you have not listened to my episode a couple weeks ago about the overturning of roe versus wade it's a, a broadly speaking episode and i talk much more in depth about that so if you don't know what's going on with roe v wade right now you should definitely dial back and check that out first or after this episode after we learn about norma so but chloe i can't wait to learn about
1: Norma this is a wild ride so buckle your seatbelt
0: Oh my god okay it's buckled it's buckled
1: so she was born Norma Lee Nelson on September 22nd 1947 in Simsport Louisiana
0: oh. and
1: she was a Jehovah's Witness really early on in life they moved to Houston and she had what is described by a lot of articles as a troubled childhood oh. When she was 10 years old, she ran away from home with a, with a friend. She st- stole some money out of a gas station cash register and ran away with a female friend to Oklahoma City. And they somehow managed to rent a, a hotel room, uh, even though they're <laughs> 10 years old. Two days later, a hotel maid walked in on them kissing. So Norma, Norma knew Norman <laughs> very early that she liked the ladies. Okay. but So because uh, uh, because there was theft and homosexuality involved... Texas was not very kind to her. They declared her a ward of the state and sent her away to a Catholic boarding school for a year. And then she was in and out of the Gainesville State School for Girls, which was uh I looked it up and it's for delinquent girls.
0: Cuz Catholicism solves everything. If you exactly. if you can send them to the Catholics, they'll be That's
1: happy. right. <laughs> you know how it is. Sarah gets it.
0: oh my
1: goodness but the thing is they sent her to a private girls only school and she was in heaven (laughs) (laughs) she loved it there she's like a modern
0: julie d'abeney so far right
1: (laughs) kind of kind of yeah and so every time the school would be like all right you're good you can go home she would get in trouble on purpose so that this they would send her back (laughs) So she's in and out of this school, constantly trying to go there. When she's 13 years old, so after three years of this, her father, probably not because of her, but for whatever reason, walks out on the family, uh, which is followed shortly by her parents' divorce, and then her mother, Mary, has to raise Norma and her older brother by herself.
0: And the Catholic Church.
1: Right, and the 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 Catholic Church, (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs)
1: And from what I could find and and suss out about it, um, Mary was a physically abusive alcoholic as a mother. Oh, man. Norma's life, it's not a happy life. No. And when she's 15 years old, they decide that this girl's school isn't working anymore, and they decide to send her to go live with her cousin. And while she's there, her cousin rapes her every single night for weeks.
0: What the fuck?
1: Yeah. It's like, well, if you're living with me, then we're going to have sex. Wait, how
0: old is she at this point? Not that it matters. We're like, rape's never okay, but...
1: She's 15 years old.
0: Oh, my fucking God.
1: She tells her mom about it. Her mom goes to her cousin, and the cousin says it never happened, so it never happened. Jesus. Because why believe women, right? Right.
0: This was in the 50s still at this point?
1: She's 15. So yeah, we're just in the 60s. It's like 1962 at this point.
0: And Texas?
1: Still Texas.
0: Yeah. Dang. Okay.
1: Uh, When she's 16, she is working as a waitress at a drive-in restaurant. The man who would become her husband drives up. His name is Woody McCorvey. He's 23. She's 16, remember. So she rides up to his car and he orders a fur pie. And she is young and naive and doesn't know he's being a pervert. So she just kind of shrugs that off. And then he continues to be charming and invites her back to his place. So she goes home with him and they have sex. And her mom, when she finds out, says, well, if you're going to sleep with him, you might as well marry him. So they're married.
0: Oh, my gosh. A fur pie. That's gross. That's fucking gross.
1: It's really gross. Like, when she was telling that story in the documentary, I was like, I hope that you immediately brush this guy away and then it's like, five seconds later, it's like, and then we got married. I was like, oh no! (sighs) But that's where the, that's where McCorvey comes from. Woody McCorvey, this...
0: The fur pie lover.
1: Exactly. Uh... Uh, So, this marriage doesn't last very long. He gets home from work one day and Norma tells him that she's pregnant and he hits her across the face and accuses her (gasps) of sleeping With other men. What? Yeah. So he is also quite abusive. But she, you know, credit to her, is like, you know what? I'm not going to live like this. And she kicks him out of the house. Then eventually moves back in with her mother. And that's where she has her first child. Okay.
0: With her alcoholic mother. Okay.
1: Yes. With her alcoholic mother, who, right after the baby's born, Norma sinks into a really deep depression, as happens, you know. I'm yeah. blanking on the name of that. A postpartum. Postpartum depression. Postpartum, yes. Plus the fact that it's a baby of a man who she was married to for like a year and was abusive. And now she's living with her mom. So like, there's a lot of reasons. And she's 16 years old. So like,
0: yeah, there's
1: plenty of reasons to be depressed. Ain't
0: nothing easy for her right now. It's all terrible.
1: Exactly. So she starts developing drinking and drug problems. Oh. And... Here's where I'll say that there's a lot of people and a lot of historians in every article that I was reading that describe Norma as an unreliable narrator on the recounts of her own life. Uh, And they say Mm. that she tends to paint herself as a victim more than she should, which to me, especially from reading the story and listening to her account of it feels like, you know, maybe she's exaggerating a little bit, but I also feel like she's probably not far off from what she's actually saying. And maybe it's this tendency that historians have to dismiss the accounts of women. Mm. But there's two accounts of, of the next thing that happened. There's Norma's and there's Norma's mother's. Typically, people tend to side with Norma's mother, but I'm going to describe them both because I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. So Norma says that she goes for a road trip with some friends and she leaves the baby with her mom and her mom's going to watch the baby for like a weekend. And when she gets home from the trip, the baby isn't there. And there's a baby doll where the baby was. What? Her mother will not tell her where the baby is, and has reported her to the police as having abandoned the baby.
0: What?! But she put a fucking baby doll. Oh, my God.
1: Yes. And so Norma's looking like, like, tell me where my baby is. And her mom's like, you're a mess. You doing alcohol and drugs and you're a mess and you, you can't handle it. So you can't have the baby. Norma says that she's woken up in the middle of the night by her mother and her mom hands her some papers and says, this is insurance paperwork. You need to sign it. And she signs it and goes back to bed.
0: Oh, my God. Never do that, audience. Never do that. Never sign something that someone just hands you without reading it.
1: Yeah. So this is adoption paperwork. Norma's mother has now adopted her child. Norma's mother's account is that Norma and her had talked about it a bunch. And Norma said, yes, you can adopt my baby and willingly did this. Norma says there was no willing about it. Truth is somewhere in between or maybe, you know, who knows?
0: I mean, they're both alcoholics, right?
1: They are both alcoholics.
0: God, her mom sounds like not an awesome person.
1: No, she sounds like a mess and abusive in more ways than I can even describe.
0: That's horrific.
1: She loses custody of the baby and immediately Norma is then kicked out of the house and is not allowed to come back and see the baby ever. And she's still a teenager, so she has to figure out a way to survive. Uh, She works mainly as a cleaning woman like cleaning hotel rooms and people's houses, even later on, like after she announces that she was Roe, like this is way later on, some of the stuff she does, she says in interviews is like, hey, if anybody's looking for a cleaning woman, I'm available. Like she's still like really down and out even throughout everything.
0: Yeah, because she doesn't, hasn't finished school. She hasn't, at this point, she's like dropped out, right?
1: I I didn't read anything about her finishing school. And she pretty much works as a cleaning woman. And she volunteers at abortion clinics and stuff later on. So like, she doesn't have a ton of income or and it says she's uneducated as part of the reason she was chosen to be the plaintiff or like the face of the trial. Like Mm. that's what the lawyers were looking for. It's like Mm -hmm. we need someone who's uneducated and who can't travel out of the state to procure an abortion. So it's a it's a really sad story. Anyway, Anyway. a year later, she's pregnant again. This time, rather than go through the heartache of everything that happened with the first kid, she agrees to give the child up for adoption right away. Then by the time she is 21 years old, she is pregnant for a third time. And this is where I will also remind all of the listeners that we are in Texas. She's living in Dallas right now Mm. in 1968. So just put yourself in that time and place so that this next part makes sense, because it doesn't make sense today.
0: Or does it? Or does it, actually? You'll see. All right, all right.
1: Some friends inform her that if she wants to get an abortion, which is not legal in Texas, Texas will allow her to get the abortion if she claims to have been raped by a group of black men.
0: Oh my god.
1: So that's what she does.
0: Wait. Okay. So her friends told her that was that actually the tr- was that actually a law in Texas?
1: It's not a law in Texas, but you know, you know how laws are in Texas. <laughs> if uh, if if something is happening that we don't really like, maybe we'll let something slide. And oh, if there's man. if it's the case of a a bunch of black men who raped you and got you pregnant, then then maybe this one's okay to abort.
0: Oh, man.
1: Texas has denied that this was ever a rule on the books, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. You know, there's a long history of white people falsely accusing black people of raping them. Correct. So she is one of those people who goes to the police and says, I'd like to have an abortion because I was raped by a group of black men. Norma. And later on, as she's trying to go through this process, she's asked by a reporter on television, did this actually happen? Like, were you actually raped? It shows this moment in the documentary, and it's this really heartbreaking moment, and her, she narrates over it, and she's like... In that moment, I just really felt like I had to tell the truth. Like, I couldn't keep lying. And so she admits that she made the whole thing up. That immediately makes everyone completely question all of her judgment. All, like, you made up a rape? Like, how dare you? And so her abortion request is denied. Wait, wait, she
0: was being... So this is before the trial or the the suit or whatever that Roe versus Wade. So this is just like the news found out she was raped and then they interviewed her?
1: Right, well... This is the pregnancy that created the case, the Roe v Wade case. Yeah, but it wasn't it took three years before it actually made it to the Supreme Court. And right. she didn't come out publicly as being Roe until after the the verdict. So yeah. I don't know why she was being interviewed at the time other than the fact that she was somebody who was, probably at that time it was like local Dallas news reporters because yeah. she was trying to get an abortion in Texas. I imagine that probably didn't happen super often, at least not publicly. Yeah. And because she was challenging it in the Texas courts first, that's probably why it circled back to her. But I'm not, I'm not entirely clear on the details there.
0: Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Sorry. I keep interrupting. Keep going. No, it's
1: all, it's all, I mean, it's feel free because there's, there's a lot of information.
0: Yeah. It's a dense case.
1: Yeah. And she has a lawyer at one point who's like trying to help her. And then apparently in an unrelated incident, he's murdered. So she has to find new lawyers. Oh my and God. she find, I know it's crazy. She has to find her way to the lawyers Linda Coffee and Sarah Weddington, who are the ones who are looking to challenge abortion laws on the national scale. and she's like the perfect person for them. She doesn't attend a single trial and remains anonymous throughout. It takes three years for it to reach the Supreme Court. So obviously long before the verdict is reached, Norma gives birth and gives her third child up for adoption. So Norma, despite being the face of legalized abortion, never had one.
0: Oh, so she was trying to get one and that's where the suit came from. She was suing to be able to get one. Oh, Correct. okay. I missed that piece of information. Wow.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the, the, the things that like every article I clicked on like starts with that. Like you may be surprised to know that she never actually had one.
0: I see. And so that's probably why she was being interviewed, too, at that point, because the case was she was already part of the, the, the suit.
1: Right. Complicated legal stuff, you know, it's whew. So when the verdict comes in, the lawyer calls Norma and is like, are you excited? We won the case. And Norma is like, why would I be excited? I had my baby, but I gave her away. This is a victory for all the women who come after me. Right. And a book that came out last year actually like tracked down and found like the baby that was you know the
0: the Roe versus Wade baby.
1: The Roe versus Wade baby. Obviously, she's an adult, and from her perspective of actually being the Roe baby, she's like, if you want to find a meaning in my life or like have me represent something, it's not the sanctity of life and that people should live. It's the difficulty of being born unwanted.
0: Ah. Oh. Yeah.
1: So it's like, even from her perspective, and she like, she had lawyers and like reporters tracking her down, even when she was a teenager and asking her like, how does it feel? And she was like, I don't know. I don't haven't thought about any of this. Like, I didn't even know until you approached me that I was the Roe baby. So what a weird
0: piece of information too to carry your whole life as like this unwanted baby who... But did she find loving, I mean, was she adopted by like a loving family?
1: Yes and no. Like she seems happy-ish as an adult. Like she has a family, she has kids of her own. But she said like her childhood was terrible, partly because she was being hounded by reporters and partly because just as a child who is adopted, like even though everybody wants you to feel like you were chosen, you still feel rejected, unwanted. There's just like a deep sense of i don't i'm not supposed to be here i can
0: only imagine
1: she wasn't like happy
0: yeah i mean was anyone happy like norma's not you know no none of the actual plaintiffs in that case she did not benefit from from the law that was established or the precedent that was established with that case
1: right so after norma has the baby but before the verdict comes in she falls in love with a woman named connie gonzalez And their courtship story is great. Um, (laughs) Yay! Connie is working at a shop. I don't know if it's her family's shop or if she's just working there. But she catches Norma trying to steal a can of food. And Connie is like, you know, I could call the police. And Norma is like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like here i'm just hungry and she's so charming in the way that she apologizes for it that connie is just like smitten with her and she's like you know what take my credit card take my car keys go get yourself some food
0: what and bring it back oh my god oh and that's how they met
1: that's how they met and somebody else who's working there is like are you out of your mind like why would you give your credit card and a car to someone who just tried to steal from us like what's wrong with you? And she's like, I think she's gonna come back. Like I think she's gonna come back. Oh. Norma comes back and she's gotten the car washed, oh. and she comes in. And she's like, I got your car washed, and she's like being all sweet. And so they're just immediately in love, and oh, this is the beginning of a thirty-five year relationship.
0: And Connie wasn't abusive. It sounds like
1: no, they seemed. It seemed like. Connie's also in the documentary, and she seems like just a really grounded, down-to-earth, like, cool person.
0: Thank goodness for Norma to find such a great partner. That is, that makes my heart, like, a little bit happier after all that she dealt with. Are they still alive today?
1: I don't know for sure about Connie. I believe Connie died first, uh, and Norma dies in 2017.
0: Oh, just recently!
1: very recently and there's footage in the documentary there's a moment where she's watching the the 2016 election night she's talking about how she like i'm really rooting for hillary here trump is just a he's a hypocrite i I can't even imagine the number of abortions he's responsible for if he can even count that high and then there's a moment the next morning when she finds out he won she just like this dark cloud overtakes her And she's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom and be sick. And she gets up and she's like, she's not in good health. So it's impressive that she's even able to get up. But she gets up and (sighs) goes to the bathroom to get sick because she's like, I just can't. And because she died in February of 2017, I just feel like him coming into power was just too much and like finished her off.
0: For fuck's sake, he's responsible for so much crime.
1: So, so much. But here's where the story gets very interesting. because Norma becomes one of the biggest pro-life activists for many years, like decades. Wait, what? Yes.
0: Wait a minute. How does that happen?
1: So after the verdict, she tries to be a pro-choice activist. Like she goes to the marches, she speaks to some other activists about being a guest speaker, but they never invite her to speak. She's kind of a taboo, like... She's she's rough and tumble. She's poor. She's uneducated. She lied about being raped. Like, she makes feminism look bad. So she was rejected by all the key leaders in the pro-choice movement. It was ba- They basically treated her like she didn't exist. Ugh. Due to the traumatic upbringing she had and constantly feeling like she didn't exist and she didn't matter and her voice didn't matter, she felt really put off by the pro-choice movement. Ugh. And even so, she still continued to volunteer at abortion clinics and at Planned Parenthood, and all these pro-life people would constantly protest right outside and and she, would, she this is horrible but she just loved fucking with the pro life people for a while like early on like they they'd be screaming like you're baby murderers and she'd come out and speak to them and be like hey do you do you guys want some lunch we're having barbecue baby for lunch
0: uh, <laughs>
1: oh my god <laughs> like she just loved fucking with But them. then
0: she joins them.
1: So what happens is There's this really, really charismatic evangelical minister named Flip Benham, and he is the national director of Operation Rescue. And he's in the documentary and he talks about, he's like, we knew that if we could get her to our side... It would do huge numbers. It would pull in tons of money. It would pull in tons of people. It would convince some pro choice people to change their minds. Ugh. So we targeted her aggressively. And because we, as ministers, are frequently around the type of person who wasn't loved enough as a child and is just looking for a place to feel accepted, we knew exactly how to convince her to at least speak to us and be friends with us
0: uh, emotional manipulation.
1: Exactly. Ugh. And then on top, on top of that, they start paying her. What? They start giving her, they start writing her checks. Here's, you know, you got some bills that are overdue. Here, we'll give you some money. You got, you need a little bit of cash. Here's some money and they start coaching her on what to say and they put her in front of cameras and they bring her out and she's the face she's like the draw of the for her whole life she talks about a little she's like when i was young i wanted to be famous i wanted to be an actor and this was an opportunity for me to act like i was pro-life like uh. and they were paying me to do it so it was like a paid acting job it was more money than i was making anywhere else i'd ever worked So, and I knew they were using me. And so, yeah, we we used each other. It was kind of a mutual thing.
0: Because she eventually went went back to being pro-choice or was she in the pro-lifers for...
1: She was in the pro-lifers for, I think, like 20-ish years. Yeah, because she joined them in 1995. And then she dies in 2017. And it was like right before she died that she came out and was like, actually, I'm pro-choice. I've been pro-choice all along. Gotcha. Which is... It's heartbreaking because of, because of who she is, the amount of damage that she was able to do in 22 years of pretending to be pro-life,
0: yeah, like I
1: can't even be accounted for, but she was a poor, uneducated woman who needed to survive. And this was a group of people. She even said that like this group of people, despite the fact that I didn't necessarily agree with them, they made me feel loved. Like, they made me feel the love I never got as a child, the love I never got from my parents, the love I I always wanted and was rejected by the the people I actually agree with. Like, these are the only people who ever accepted me fully and completely and said that they forgave me for my crimes and my sins. That's unbelievable. And so she was just swept up in the whole thing.
0: I mean, it makes sense. If someone who is looking for love and acceptance isn't receiving it from anyone, including the movement that she helped bolster with her lawsuit.
1: Right. The interviews in the documentary with the people who were involved in the movement who were like coaching her and recruiting her are horrifying. The the level of malice to which they are utilizing their knowledge of who she is and what, what she represents to so many people. It's reprehensible. Ugh. So, the, And the other thing that happens, the even more heartbreaking part of this, is that she converts to Catholicism to get her sins purged. And if you are Catholic, it is ver, it's, it's verboten to be a lesbian. Right. So this guy is constantly coming into the house with Norma and Connie and just, like, planting the seeds, letting them know, like, hey, this isn't okay. Like, the fact that you want to have sex with each other, like... That's called lust. It's not actually possible to love someone of the same sex as yourself. It's not possible. God didn't make it possible. Like, if I just wanted to eat cinnamon buns every single day of my life, I could do that, but it's not good for me. And that's what this is. Like, you wanting to have sex with each other is just giving in to temptation.
0: the fuck? They're like life partners, dude.
1: Unfortunately, Norma buys into this belief.
0: Oh, no.
1: They continue to live together, and they continue to be platonic housemates, but all sexual, anything intimate, all of that goes out the window. Oh. And there's there's re- just the most heartbreaking footage of Connie, who's just like, sometimes I just I just wonder what the hell I'm even doing here. Like, I'm so baffled, like, she seems like she really buys into this, and, and I support her, and I love her, so... I guess this is our life now. Oh
0: my god, that's so heartbreaking. I don't know if I should so, watch this documentary. I th- it might like be too much for me.
1: It might be. It's very informative, but it's very infuriating.
0: Wait, is it on like Netflix or where is it?
1: Uh, it's Hulu. It's on Hulu. It's called AKA Jane Doe. At the at the beginning of the documentary, she's like, "This is going to be my deathbed confessional," and that's the documentary is her, is when she comes out as being pro-choice and saying that. The pro-lifers actually have been paying her. And they, over the course of the 20 years, they paid her like $450,000. She was bought. And not even for very much. Like, that's the other thing they point out is, like, the amount of money we were making in donations from people who, you know, this sudden influx after we converted Jane Roe.
0: But except that Norma made so little money that that was a lot of money to her. So, like, you know. But they were
1: like, it was like, it was a fraction of a percent of the the donations we were getting in that we gave to her. It was like, yeah, this is all she needs? Great. (laughs) It's whatever. Oh, my God. And she, she says the the quote about knowing what they were doing is, quote, I was the big fish. I think it was a mutual thing. I took their money. They'd put me in front of the cameras and tell me what to say. And that's what I'd say. It was an all an act. I did it well, too. I'm a good actress. And then she says, you know, did, you know if, if a young woman wants to have an abortion, that's no skin off my ass. That's why they call it choice.
0: Except that she didn't actually advocate for right. choice. Oh, man.
1: Right. Right. Man, so Chloe, this
0: episode has me feeling all sorts of feelings. Right? Oh,
1: it's complicated. You know, it, it, the truth is always a lot more complicated than the history we learn.
0: I mean, I get. You know, you can you can see like as if someone is is so desperate for for money and for love and attention, like getting that all those things from somebody makes you do and say things that you you know people make that decision all the time. I guess it's just like. It's just heartbreaking to hear extra because it's her. Did her and Connie ever, like, re... So, like, you said she, she um, came back to her, like, pro, pro-choice, but did her and Connie ever kind of reconnect at that deeper level or no?
1: So in, in 2006, I think it was, Connie has a stroke, oh. and Norma abandons her. Norma leaves, moves out, and <sighs> never goes home to visit Connie again. Like, I read a report or an article about connie somebody went and visited her a reporter who was like just wanting to know about their relationship and like what was jane roe really like and she says like after my stroke like she never came back like she left a bunch of stuff here so there's you know little remnants and memories of her in every corner of this house like i think her mother's ashes or her grandmother's ashes are like still there man it's rough
0: it's really rough and it like I'm like fighting this urge to like strongly dislike Norma like as a person like I, right. I I'm like struggling with that It like right now like you can see it on my face <laughs> listener is cool. he's like looking at me and I'm like oh she seems like like not a great person with the way she behaves even yeah. though we can tell from her story that probably all that behavior is like learned from all of the trauma that she survived and so
1: yeah you can understand it and not condone it
0: that's true that's true
1: so that's where I'm at with it it's just like this is clearly largely unacceptable behavior and yet I fully understand like if I were in your shoes I can't say I wouldn't do many of the same things
0: yeah I mean I think that that is you know at one point in all of our lives we have to come to terms with like whether or not we can really stand up in the face of desperation you know and like what does desperation do to us and what do we what do we let it do to us and how can we and how can't we and what you know ah, this is all very I'm gonna be like thinking about this now for like (laughs) I feel like for like weeks actually
1: yeah I was shocked when I read that she became like the face of the pro-life movement I was like, "Wait, what?" I mean, it and makes then- sense that
0: they pay- they paid her. Oh my god. How is that any different than like senators who take money from lobbyists and shit? It's like really not. It's not, it's not. different and that behavior happens all the time.
1: Yeah. But and and is I don't really care more- for any of those
0: senators, like fucking Joe Manchin right. right now, who voted no on codifying abortion laws. He's the reason that they did not the Senate this week did not pass codified. So, right? This is happening like today. That shit's still happening obviously it's
1: so infuriating
0: oh man chloe such a <laughs> so
1: <laughs> yeah sorry um it's not what i thought i was gonna figure out or be presenting when i started looking into her but the, the more i got into the story the more it was just like i have to do this like i can't
0: but you know what if there's anything we learn on this podcast it's that like there's no black or white That there's lots of gray areas in all of these these happenings of things we talk about and people can be heroes and villains at the same time or they can be not heroes and still be abroad you should know you know like it's it's yeah you know life's not so simple as it it's maybe once seemed to to a young Saragorsky. everything (laughs) was very simple and it was very black and white and the more that i have learned about history and about all the things that have happened in the history of the world and are happening now the more it's clear to me that there is no black or white I feel like I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I'm a big lover of um, Brene Brown and her writing has really kind of changed, I feel like, my life and the way that I interact with other people and view people. And And one of the things that she says is that everybody is doing the best they can with what they have. So I listened to this story about Norma and I'm like, well, fuck, she didn't, she had such a shitty end of the stick. Yeah. I can totally see why she made that choice and why that choice felt like the right choice for her because it, it benefited her and it made her life and her situation
1: tolerable
0: better, more tolerable, whatever. And so, like, I can see that. and so I can see that and I can still dislike that she made that decision, you know?
1: Yeah. Because, I, I mean, had she not joined the pro-lifers, I can't say we wouldn't be in the boat we're in today, but to have the Jane Roe for 20 years... Speaking to these people and saying, I was wrong, abortion is wrong, that has to have emboldened all of the people behind the movement today.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think that there's a singular, you know, I wouldn't put the onus of the entire situation on it.
1: No, because those people existed before she did. Yeah, you know? and
0: I feel like there's far far more nefarious powers at play in terms of, like, stacking, you know, stacking the courts and all of the gerrymandering that has led to all of it. You know, there's a lot of different contributors to the current situation, but I'm yeah. actually like most sad for Connie. That like breaks my heart for Connie. I
1: d- I also feel the most sad for Connie. Connie is just like a, b- a bystander in this chaos, like just trying to be a-, a supportive girlfriend, you know, like yeah. And just gets again a-, a very short end of the stick. But that's uh that's Norma McCorvey, the Jane Roe.
0: What an important story in, you know, in U.S. history and women's rights history. And even though, obviously, it seems controversial, like, I think it's important to know her story and to know all of it. Because it's really important to also see in everyday life, like, how people can be manipulated. You know, I think being aware of it allows us all to kind of fight that more in our day-to-day lives and help draw people back from the light and see the truth of the situation when someone's offering you something and what the exchange is for that, so. Thank you, Chloe. Oh my gosh, it's so glad having you back. Me, I think I can speak for all... All of our listeners, when I say we fucking miss you every week, <laughs> but me especially.
1: <laughs> well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me back. I'll come back as often as I can.
0: To learn more about Nora McCorvey, see pictures of her and other stuff Chloe found during her research. Click on over to know dot com. And while you're there, you can visit the About page and read more about Chloe. Her bio, photo, links to all her cool stuff is there. Hey, are you following Broads You Should Know on social yet? We're on Facebook and Instagram at Broads You Should Know and Twitter at BYSK Podcast. To suggest a broad, fill out the form on our website or email us at Know at gmail.com. Are you a fan of this podcast? If so, please help spread the word about us. Share your favorite episode with your friends and family, and leave us a review on your podcasting platform. That really helps new listeners to find us. This episode of Broads You Should Know is brought to you by Zencaster, the all in one podcast production suite that gives you studio quality audio and video without needing all the technical know how. It records each of your guests locally, and then it uploads the crystal clear audio and video right. Into the Zencaster suite so you have high quality raw materials to edit with. We use Zencaster at Broads You Should Know and we love it! Sign up now and you'll save 30% if you use our link. Just go to zen.ai/slash Broads You Should Know. That's zen.ai/slash Broads You Should Know. Broads You Should Know is produced by me, Sarah Gorski, and edited by Chloe Sky, with original music by Darren Callahan. Finally, if you were intrigued by Norma's story, you might also be interested in some other broads that we've covered who have gained rights via lawsuits in the Supreme Court, including Mary Tape, Polly Murray, Shannon Faulkner, and Susan Harjo. See you next week for another Broad You Should Know.